Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. A home where the Spirit of God is producing in the husband and the Spirit of God is producing in the wife love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Can you imagine any situation that could tear that couple apart? That would be a good place to say no. Love. It's one of the most used words in any language. It's also one of the most misunderstood. So what is real love? What does it really look like? I think that the vast majority of our culture doesn't have a clue about this thing that Freddie Mercury and Queen called a crazy little thing called love. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. We live in a culture obsessed with love and romance, but it's also a culture where broken relationships are commonplace. Is it possible that our culture really doesn't know what real love looks like? As we continue our series, Life, Love, Legacy, The Story of Ruth, we come to our second subject in the series, love. With nearly one out of two marriages ending in divorce, with broken lives and broken relationships and broken homes. Whatever all love is, it isn't little. We'll be a couple of weeks looking at this subject from Ruth's story, but today Pastor Clay is going to explain to us some key characteristics of love from Ruth's relationship with her mother-in-law, Naomi. As we'll hear, those characteristics are vital for any love relationship. Now here's Pastor Clay. Love is an interesting uh, subject, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, Few subjects have been as talked about, misunderstood, written about, sung about as love. Man, I was looking up this week, just just a few of titles of songs um, with with the word love in it. Beyonce is crazy in love. McCartney and Wings said it's my love. Donny Osmond's got puppy love. Y'all remember that one? <laughs> Luther Vandross and Mariah Carey have endless love. Casey and the Sunshine Band said keep it coming, love. <laughs> Bad Company's ready for love. The Beatles, of course, they're, you know, can't buy me love. and Love is all you need and love me do. Led Zeppelin's got a whole lot of love. The Eagles say it's the best of my love. Air supply's all out of love. Tina Turner wants to know what love's got to do with it. And Kiss is calling Dr. Love. It seems that everybody has got something to say about love. But few subjects, I think, are as misunderstood as love. You would think after all the songs that have been written, you would think that after all the books that have been published, you would think after all the movies that have been made that we would have this, this love thing down. But I think that the vast majority of, of our culture doesn't have a clue about this, this thing that Freddie Mercury and Queen called a crazy little thing called love. Not surprisingly, the Bible has something to say about love. Actually, it has a significant amount to say about love. Love is possibly as important a concept for us to get our minds around as anything that we ever could do. With 
nearly one out of two marriages ending in divorce, with broken lives and broken relationships and broken homes, whatever all love is, it isn't little. I want to tell you a love story today from the life of Ruth in this series, Life, Love, Legacy, the story of Ruth. It's a book in the Old Testament. There are actually three love relationships in the book of Ruth that we're going to look at and hopefully learn some things from over the next couple of weeks, next few weeks. I won't be here next week, but the week after that we'll pick it back up. But hopefully we'll look at all three of these love relationships and learn a a few things about what real, genuine, authentic love is. Three love relationships in the book of Ruth. There is the relationship between a mother-in-law and a father uh, and a daughter-in-law. There is a relationship between a man and a woman. And there is, of course, the relationship between God and his people. Today, we're going to look at the relationship between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And we're going to hopefully look at and talk about a couple of very key characteristics of love that are demonstrated in this relationship between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. So let's start with that one today, and we'll look at these two characteristics. Let's look at the relationship between Naomi and Ruth. The story is found in Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Say, I want to hear about love. love. Yeah, that's pretty good. (laughs) Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, Return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them. And they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I said I have a husband, if I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you. For the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. If you weren't here uh, last week or you're not familiar with the story of Ruth, obviously there's a lot going on in here. And we talked about this last week. But Ruth, or or Naomi, excuse me, Naomi has gone uh, along with her husband Elimelech and her two sons, Melon and Chilion, She has gone to live in a land known as Moab. It bordered the nation of Israel. They were living in Bethlehem. 
and they left Bethlehem because of a famine that had come across the land, and they moved to uh, Moab to live. Uh, Now, as I mentioned last week, the text doesn't specifically tell us in Ruth, but I believe that Elimelech and his his family stepped out of the will of God when, when they went to Moab because of God's restriction on the Israelites to not have anything to do with the, with the Moabites and their idolatry and immorality. Rather than trust God, Elimelech decided basically to trust himself and take his, his family away from the famine and take them down to Moab, a place where God had said don't have anything to do with them. I'll talk more about that in a few moments. Once down there, By the way, they were there for about 10 years. But in that process, once down there, Elimelech dies. Apparently not too long after that, not exactly sure of the time, but not too long after that, Naomi's two sons, Melon and Chilion, die. We're not told how they die. We're not told why they die. We're just told they died. And three widows are left in the dust of their circumstances. And it is at this point that we begin to see this love relationship between Naomi and Ruth. And we begin to see this first characteristic of genuine, true love, ladies and gentlemen, and it is sacrifice. A characteristic of genuine, true, authentic, real love is sacrifice. Now, uh, some people have questioned why Naomi didn't want her daughters-in-law to go back to Bethlehem. Some people, some biblical scholars have uh, questioned what her motive was in not wanting her daughters-in-law to come with her back to Bethlehem. Warren Wiersbe, for instance, believes that Naomi was trying to cover up her sin of going down to Moab in the first place. And that if she showed up back in Bethlehem with two Moabite daughters-in-law, that was going to be a little hard to explain. I I don't think that's the case. I don't think Wearsby got it right on that one. And I like Wearsby. But I don't think he got it right on that one. Uh, for, for one thing, I, I think it would have been hard for them to leave Bethlehem in the first place without everybody knowing where they were headed. I don't think they could have snuck out of town. I don't think they could have, they could have gotten out of town without somebody figuring out or asking, hey, where, what, what's happening? Where are you going? What's... For another thing, when you read this, as we just read this text a moment ago, when you read this, you, you look at this and you say, man, there's, there's some real raw emotion going on here. These are real feelings that these people have for each other. These are real tears that these ladies are, are shedding at the prospect of never being able to see each other again. They're feeling this. This is for real. They have been together now for a decade They have walked through deep water together, grieving the loss of their their husbands, two of them who were also Naomi's sons. These two daughters-in-law were the only family that that Naomi had, even if they were by marriage. I mean, essentially, that's all she had left. As far as she could tell, as far as she knew at this point in her life, that's that's it. That's, That's all there was. And yet Naomi urges her two daughter-in-laws to go back. Now, let me just say, her explanation in verses 11 and 12 for why they should go back may be a little strange to us in our current culture. I mean, what's this whole, uh, uh, you know, I don't have any more sons in my womb for you. 
Or even if I could get pregnant and have sons, are you going to wait till they grow up to marry? What's, what's that all about? Naomi is referring to something that was known or that is known as a leveret marriage. As I understand, it's a Latin phrase that means a husband's brother. And it's based on the teachings in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10, where the people of Israel were instructed, the men of Israel were, or people of Israel were instructed that if a, if a man uh, was married and he died, and he had a brother who was not married, a younger brother, that that brother should take his, his dead brother's wife, his widow, as his wife. Okay, it's a little weird, right? Sounds a little strange in the culture and the time in which we live. But, but the, the instruction really was, uh, for one thing, to protect these women who, who were left without a husband. Remember, there's no, there's, no, uh, there's no insurance policies on their husbands back then, like you ladies have big insurance policies on your husbands now, probably. There, there's, nothing, there's nothing like that back then. These ladies are just, they're just left for themselves. Plus, if, if the brother married, it would ensure the fact that the dead brother's uh, property would stay within the family, which was, which was a big deal, and that his name, in a sense, would, would live on. So it, it may sound a little strange to us, but, but that's Naomi. Naomi said, listen, I, I can't. I, I'm, I'm, I'm past childbearing years. I'm too old. Nobody's going to want to marry you, me, probably. I'm past childbearing years. I, I can't have children. I can't raise them up. No, my daughters, you're still young. You can still go home. You can still uh, marry. You can still have children. You can have a family. You can have a life. Don't come with me. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a characteristic of genuine, authentic, real love. It sacrifices it's willing to sacrifice for the good of the other. Now, the fact is, Ruth or Naomi had a love relationship with both of her daughters-in-law, which ought to be proof to anybody that there's a God in heaven, that a mother-in-law could, could love daughter-in-laws and vice versa. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm sure all of y'all, if, if you have mother-in-laws or you are a mother-in-law, I'm sure you, you get along great with yours, uh, whichever. But... But she says, no, no, don't go with me. Now listen, this is, she's, she's, she's going to set out on a journey that uh, is probably pretty dangerous for anybody. But for an older woman, however old Naomi was, to travel by herself, she has no future. She has no hope of, of food. How's she going to make a living? She has, she, it's not, that's what real love does, quite honestly. It sacrifices for the other. It puts the other ahead of you. Now, I don't know. Let's take marriage, for instance. Can you imagine what it would be like if one of the characteristics of the love that you have for your spouse was that you sacrifice for your spouse continually? That, that you always put the well-being of your spouse ahead of your own well-being. I know we are sinful, imperfect men and women, and we will not always get it right. But can you imagine if, what that would look like if each and every time we tried to put the well-being of our spouse ahead of our own? By the way, I'll just throw this in there. Um, putting the well-being of your spouse ahead of you doesn't always mean doing everything they want you to do. 
because what they may want you to do sometimes may not be in their well-being and all that stuff's got to be worked out. But, but imagine, if you, if you will, if your desire was to put the well-being of your spouse ahead of you every time. Now, probably at least one person out there is thinking, well, I, 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 do, I, I will do that. I would do that uh, if, if we were... Uh, if we were adrift at sea and, and we began to run out of food and, and, or water, I, I, would, I would give up my portion for my spouse. I, I, would, I would give it to them so that they could have more. I, I would be willing to sacrifice. That's nice. If the serenade of the seas ever goes down while you're on a Caribbean cruise and you end up on a raft, it's nice to know you do the right thing. But let's see if we can come a little closer to home. What if... It were in your spouse's best interest for you to become a student of the Word of God. What if it were in your spouse's best... By the way, I, I don't intend for this question to sound like a question. <laughs> but what if it were in your spouse's best interest for you to become a student of the Word of God so that you might be filled with the Spirit of God so that... Within you might be produced the fruit of the Spirit of God. Like that mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. Y'all know that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Y'all know that stuff? What if, uh, and by the way, I, I, I say this to couples all the time in, in marital counseling or premarital counseling. is one of the things I say all the time. Uh, imagine, uh, imagine a home where... The Spirit of God is producing in the husband love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the Spirit of God is producing in the wife love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Can you imagine any scenario? Can you imagine any situation? Can you imagine any circumstance that could tear that couple apart? That would be a good place to say no. No. If in both of their lives, love, joy, peace, pain, kind of, if all this stuff is coming out of the husband, all this stuff is coming out of the wife, yeah, but, but they don't, ah, ah. We're talking about sacrifice here. What would you do for your spouse? Can you, imagine, can you imagine what that home would look like? Can you imagine what that home would sound like or not sound like? Can you imagine what that home would feel like? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Again, I, I know we're not perfect. We certainly don't get it right all the time. But, but what if my desire is to, is to put my wife's best interests ahead of mine? Am I willing to become a student of the Word of God? Because listen, I, I, know, uh, I know everybody wants a pill that they can take and they just, poof, just become all that they can be and, and should be in Christ. But it doesn't work that way, ladies and gentlemen. After 30 years of, of trying to walk fairly close to Jesus, I only know of one way to be filled with the Spirit of God. Remember, that's the key to producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. In 30 years of trying to walk with Jesus, I only know of one way. It's two things, but it's really just one way of being filled with the Spirit of God so that He might produce the fruit of the Spirit of God in my life. And that is on my knees in prayer, and, and my face in His Word, becoming a student of His That's it. That's the only thing I know. I wish I were more clever than that. I wish I had some sort of secret formula for you on, on how to be filled with the Spirit of God so that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control comes out of you. I wish I, I had something, but that's it. On your face in prayer and have your face in the Word of God. So, would you 
would you sacrifice some of your time if it was going to take time for you to become a student of the Word of God? You might have sacrificed some of your TV time. might have sacrificed some of your recreation time. might have sacrificed some of your sleep time. Would you do that? Because I'm telling you right now, that's a characteristic of love. It sacrifices for the good of the other. Uh, I mean, that's, uh, that's a spiritual one. How about, well, what if it's in the best interest of your spouse to listen to them more? What if it's in the best interest of your spouse to talk to them more? Well, that's just not me. That's <laughs> really not me, but can I get an amen? <laughs> well, what if it's in the best interest of your spouse to... Now, don't, don't worry, okay? I'm not going to... I hate this stuff. You go to marriage... Uh, retreats and stuff, and they, what is it, the thing they call it? Sending with knee to knee. Oh, and I sit down, your spouse, get knee to knee, and look them right in the eyes. Oh. <laughs> Not going to make you do that today. But what if it was in their best interest for you to just sit down and spend some time with them? What if it was in your spouse's best interest for you to, to encourage them and build them up and talk positively to them instead of maybe criticizing or, or nagging or or whatever else that we sometimes would do? What, what if it's in the best interest of your spouse to do that? Would you do it? Would you sacrifice? What if it's in the best interest of your spouse to go to the grocery store or do the laundry? Or what if it was in the, what if it's in the best interest of your spouse to have sex with them? Or to not have sex with them, but just hold them with no further intention? That's what love does, ladies and gentlemen. That's all I'm saying is that a characteristic of love is that it sacrifices. Okay, let me real quickly, let, let's get to the second characteristic. Second characteristic of real love is commitment. And, and quite honestly, this really, it's almost like two sides of the same coin. Both of these, uh, sacrifice and commitment, go hand in hand because you see sacrifice on, on Ruth's part as well. That's not just Naomi, but let's pick it up in verse 14. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? So she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. That kind of opens the door for the next relationship, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks. But uh, again, uh, there's a lot going on in this text. There's a lot going on that we could use to talk about the subject last week of faith and life and how those two go together, isn't there? 
Man, there's a lot we could talk about how Naomi had, had let her circumstances jump on top of her. How Naomi had, had let the best of her, her circumstances get the best of her. How Naomi should have been trusting in. She, God hadn't abandoned Naomi. God hadn't given up on Naomi. And we're going to see that as the story progresses. But Naomi sure thought that God had. Naomi's name means pleasant. Naomi says, don't you call me that. Don't, don't you call me that. You call me Mara. The word Mara means bitter. And Naomi thought that was an ex- a perfect name for her because that's exactly how she felt. That's exactly what her circumstances had delivered to her. And as far as she was concerned, that's exactly what God had given her. Her life was bitter. Her circumstances were bitter. Don't you call me Naomi. You call me Mara. Naomi needed last week's message. And by the way, so do you if you at times begin to feel that way about your circumstances. Uh, th- by the way, the other, uh, other subject that we need to deal with before we, we get in a little bit more into commitment uh, is this, the question of how could this Moabite woman go back into Israel if Israelites were forbidden to have anything to do with Moabites, as I said last week, how could Ruth now go back with Naomi into Israel? Here, this is an important principle for you guys to learn when, when you, just because you're all going to be, already are and going to be students of the Word of God. This is a principle that you need to learn. And, and that is, is this. When, when God talks about this, this forbidding the Israelites to have anything to do with the Moabites, he's talking about them having anything to do with Moabites that are acting like Moabites. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, um, God knew that if the Israelites came under the influence of the idolatry and the immorality that the Moabites practiced. If they came under that influence, they would, they would go off into sin themselves. That's, that's the direction they would, they would get into sin themselves if they came under influence. But God has always, he had always allowed, has always made provision for an alien, as referred to in the Old Testament. God has always allowed for a non-Jew. He's always made provision for a non-Jew to come into a relationship with him. You understand? Just because the majority of the Old Testament deals with uh, Israel and God's unfolding plan for them doesn't mean that God didn't care about the rest of the nations. He's always cared about the rest of the nations. That's why he chose the nation of Israel, by the way, and so that they could be a light to the rest of the nations, to the rest of the world. And if they went chasing after the, the, the Moabite gods and, and the Moabite immorality, they would take them down a path that would make it impossible for God to use them to take the Moabites or anybody else down the right path. But God has always made provision. Look at, look at this Acts chapter 10. Look at this passage of Scripture. Maybe this will help you. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And what you have here, in essence, is Ruth's, or at least a record of Ruth's conversion experience. Back to this whole commitment thing. Notice that Ruth is committing to both Naomi and Naomi's God, when she makes this commitment vow, in essence, is what she does. She says, I'm going, and listen, Naomi's not, Naomi's not blowing smoke up their skirt when she, when she tells them all this stuff. She's being for real. I, 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 I won't get another husband when I get back home. I have no means of provision, which means you're going to have to go out in the fields. I'm too old. I'm too weak. I can't do it. You're going to have to go out in the fields and, and, and get enough food for both of us. I, I can't have any more children, so I'm not going to be able to raise up sons for you. 
And at this point, it's really questionable whether Ruth is going to be able to get any Jewish man interested in her, especially once they find out that her first husband died under suspicious circumstances, mysterious circumstances. They might not want to have anything to do with her. Ruth has no prospects whatsoever of this turning out well for her. This is not like Kate Middleton winning the equivalent of the husband lottery when she marries William, future king of England. She has no prospects. But you know what she has? She has love for her mother-in-law. And she puts her life where her mouth is. She makes a commitment. I love, I know I've got to wind this thing up, but I just love verse 14 where it says, and they lift up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Listen, they both had emotional attachment to Naomi. They both loved her. They, they, they both had feelings for Naomi. Both Ruth and Orpah had feelings for Naomi. But in the, in the light of the reality of their circumstances, one cut and ran and the other clung. One kissed her goodbye, and the other kissed her former life goodbye. And Naomi made commitment. She said, this is it. I'm I'm, I'm leaving uh, the only people I've ever known. I'm I'm leaving the only religion I've ever known. I'm leaving the only life I've ever known. Because I love you, Naomi. I'm going to commit my life to you. I think it's it's rather fascinating that the commitment that she makes to Naomi. Now, I know it's it's a... mother-in-law, daughter-in-law thing. I know it's not a, a, a man-woman romantic kind of, of love, but I think it's pretty interesting that the commitment that she makes has some striking similarities to the commitment that, that many of us made when we were married. I know not everybody in here is married, but many are, and, and perhaps many will be, but it sounds a lot like that commitment. Do y'all, y'all remember that commitment? It went something like this, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others so long as we both shall live. It sounds a lot like what, Naomi, what Ruth said to Naomi. It's because it's, it's a characteristic of love. No matter who you apply it to, it's a characteristic of love. It's commitment. I'd spell it, but I'd probably get it wrong. It's commitment. All right, let's take the gloves off. Men, do you have that kind of love for your wife? Wives, do you have that kind of love for your husbands? The kind of love that says... I will sacrifice whatever I need to for the well-being of my spouse. I will do that. I will make this commitment. I don't know what it will cost me yet. I don't know what all is ahead of me, but I'm committing to this thing. Do you have that kind of love? Because that's the kind of love God desires for us to have. Listen, we'll see it in a couple of weeks, how all of this is just mirroring the love that God has for us. But I'm wondering, if you're here and you are married, do you have that kind of love? your spouse and if not why not and what would it take for you to have that kind of love for your spouse I I, I just close with this I uh, I love that that vow that Ruth makes with Naomi maybe it's something that that if if someday if you're going to be married if you're thinking about getting married you might even consider using vows like this in your very uh, ceremony or maybe if you're married and at some point you, you have a recommitment of your vows or something else, that wouldn't be bad vows to, to use. I, I like the way the New Living uh, puts it. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. 
and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. That's love. Sacrifice and commitment. As we heard today, those characteristics were beautifully demonstrated in the relationship between Ruth and Naomi. Hopefully today's message has given all of us some food for thought about our own relationships. Today, Pastor Clay focused primarily on the relationship between a husband and wife. With nearly one out of every two marriages ending in divorce today, it's not hard to see the need for these two characteristics. We also saw those two characteristics in the love that God has for us. God's love for us demonstrated the highest level of sacrifice and commitment. In turn, we should love Him with that same level and love others as a demonstration of God's love in us. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.